Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read beginning at verse 5. And I'm going to read through verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees... And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let, her rather, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So... The title of the message tonight is, Why Do Painful Experiences Come? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it addresses every issue that we face in life. It answers all the questions of life, including the origin of life and the purpose of life. We know, Father, from your word that we are here to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've given us a purpose to live in this sin-cursed world. But Father, help us understand, though painful experiences do come in life, they too have a purpose. So help us just submit to your sovereign will for, for our life, for our good, and thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody experiences some painful circumstances in life at one time or another, or many times. And the, the temptation or the danger of not responding properly to these painful experiences is, like Esau we can become a bitter person. Uh, You know, people become bitter because of a lot of different reasons. And I think I speak from experience. Bitterness is a part of my family, has been for several generations. And the word bitter means, according to dictionary.com, having a harsh, disagreeably acrid taste. And that word acrid means sharp and biting. Um, I have a 
member of my family who everything that she says comes with a bite. I was at a family get-together not too long of within the last year, and I sat across from uh, her and her husband, and I asked her husband if he was still working. He didn't answer. She answered for him. Of course he is. He'll never quit working. And see, that was a bitter taste. And that's the way she talks. And she's bitter. She's also a miserable person. You know, bitterness, again, comes for various reasons. Some people are bitter because some people are more financially successful than they are. Some people are bitter because of hardships in life, maybe even in ministry. Some people are bitter because they grew up in Christian homes. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? And they were made to go to church. Well, there's hypocrites at church. You know, the funny thing is, many times they profess to be saved, and you know what they live like? Hypocrites. Some people become bitter because of some unkind remark by which they were offended and they will never let go, or because they were mistreated at some point or another. And some are just bitter because they feel like God gave them a raw deal like Esau. You know, the Bible here talks about Esau, and and I didn't read the rest of this passage, but verse 16 talks about and this bitterness is referring to Esau. It says, let, 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 lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that how afterward he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. See, Esau was offended because Jacob got the birthright. But you know what? He didn't give a rip about it anyway. All he wanted was the blessing. And so, you know, bitterness is something that can affect our lives very easily if we are not constantly on guard. Because there are going to be painful experiences. There are going to be things that offend us. You know, in John chapter 16... In John 15, Jesus told the disciples, the world hates me and it's going to hate you. Because you bear witness, you shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then in chapter 16, he said this, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. I'm giving you forewarning. You're going to be, they're going to say things against you and they're going to do things to you that are going to be painful experiences. But be forewarned, I've told you, don't be offended. Don't become bitter over it. You see, painful experiences. So why do painful experiences come? Well, they come for several reasons according to the scriptures. Number one, they are a part of God's educational program. Look at verse 5 again. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, 
he chasteneth and scourgeth every son, notice, every son whom he receiveth. In fact, if you endure chastening, God dealeth you with sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? And if you're without chastisement, well, of all partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. You know, if God doesn't chasten you, you're not his child. That's really what he's saying. You see, this is part of God's educational program. And all of us will experience some chastening in our life. Some painful experiences that God allows into our lives to bring us into, to awaken us to our sin and bring us into a right relationship with Him. It was interesting that Solomon was called a beloved of the Lord. And God greatly blessed Solomon, but when Solomon started marrying many wives and then started making high places for his wives' gods, the Bible says that God raised up adversaries against him. I mean, he, he raised up people who, 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 who caused him trouble. God raised up people who caused him trouble. Jeroboam was one of them. Of course, Jeroboam then eventually became the king of the ten tribes after Solomon died. But God raised them up to afflict Solomon because of his sin. The word chasten is used seven times in verses 5 through 11 here. And somebody has said this, that tragedy is his disguise, disappointment is his appointment. In Psalm 119 and verses... um, I think it's uh, 68. I didn't write the one verse down. But Psalm 119, and uh, we'll, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next year. But Psalm 119, in verse 67, it says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And then verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. been good for me. We all know that when things are going well, we tend to, we tend to not take God and our relationship with the Lord as serious as when we're in times of trouble. That's human nature. And sometimes, sometimes, God's sufficient grace can only be learned in times of afflictions. So it's part of God's educational program. It's also part of God's proof, I'm sorry, proof of God's love. And begin in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Uh, you know, we know that God loves the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we know that God loves the whole world, but there is a special love that God has for His children. Now, I love all of you, but I don't love all of you the same way that I love my own children. Because they're mine, 
and they're my responsibility. And we are God's children, and, and we are his responsibility. You know, I was thinking of that song this morning, and I don't know what it brought to my mind, but day by day, and in that song there's a verse that says that, that um, now I'm trying to remember how it goes. We are his child and treasure, and this charge on himself he laid. We are the protection of his child and treasure. See, God has, since we've become his children, he has taken the responsibility, just like it's my responsibility to see that my children do what's right. And God takes that responsibility seriously. We need to understand that no matter what happens or what we do, God is always for us. Always. Now, it may appear he's against us because that's we're against him. And he's trying to bring us back into that right relationship with him. He is always for us. He always does things for our good. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers when they came to him, you know, asking him to forgive them for what they did? And he broke down and cried. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. You see, it's not what happens to us that's really the real issue, but it's how we respond or react. Our greatest problem is not what's around us, it's what's in us. And God is proving his love to us by correcting us. There's also... The principle, it's also a principle, uh, uh, the principle for fruit bearing or essential for fruit bearing, painful experiences, are essential for fruit bearing. Notice in verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous. I don't know about you, but when my dad took me to the woodshed, so to speak, I did not enjoy it. There was no joy in that. But it did bring about some obedience. Brought about obedience in my life. And that has brought me joy. That's brought me joy. To this day, it has brought me joy. I'm still reaping the benefits of that. See, no chastening for the present seems joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And, you know, though it is grievous to us, and God knows it hurts, but he knows how we, and he knows our, the pain we feel, but he knows it's for our good, not just for his pleasure. It is for our good. So it is, it is, Principle or means essential for fruit bearing. If we're going to bear fruit in our life, we have to we have to receive of His correction. Receive of His correction. So, you know, how are we to respond when painful experiences come into our life? Well, I have several things here I want to look at. Number one. Again, we have to remember what the Scripture teaches. These all begin with R's. 
remember. We need to remember what the scriptures teach. Again, verse 5. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, that is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 11 and 12. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. is what I believe it's the Apostle Paul is quoting here in his writing to the Hebrew Christians. And he says, Proverbs, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, under inspiration, My son, despise not the chastened Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. So, you know, again, we have to remember when these painful experiences come that, that, that what the scriptures teach, we have to go back to the word of God. You know what that requires? We've got to learn or work, work at laying aside my feelings. See, so often we, we, we feel this way. I have a right to be offended. You know, from a world standpoint, you do. And that's what the world says. I have a right to be offended. I have a right to my safe space. You know, everyone's safe spaces. But you know, when we got saved, we gave up our rights. We belong to God. We're his children. And, and we need to remember what the scriptures teach concerning when painful experiences come. You know, just like, you know, Stephen could have cried out, you know, he, I'm offended. But he didn't. Instead he said, Father, forgive them. Or lay not to sin to their charge. You see, we need to say, we need to say, uh, 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 say this when these painful experiences come. Not say, when will I get out of these trials, but what will I get out of these trials? What is God trying to teach me here? That's what James means when James chapter 1, when he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I don't jump up and down and clap my hands when trials and temptations come. But James tells us that we're counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this. See, again, we need to remember the scriptures that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And if you let patience have her perfect work, they may be perfect and entire, one and nothing. See, God is working. You see, we need to remember that God is using this in my life. He's working in my life to bring about something that pleases Him. That makes me more like Christ. So we remember what the Scriptures teach. Remember the Word of God. Secondly, we need to remain in submission to God during them, and do not despise them. Again, verse 5 says of Hebrews 12, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. You know, don't disdain it or look down on it or hate it or, or look at it of no val- as of no value.
know, the word despise means to condemn or have the lowest opinion of. And Proverbs 1 7 says, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, we like to talk about mountaintop experiences and how wonderful they are. But you know what? You can't live on a mountain, you can't grow anything on a mountain. Down in the valleys where you really live. That's where the fertile soil is. And we sing that song, Down in the valley with my Savior I would go. And it's in the valleys where the trials and tribulations and the struggles of life find us. Lester Roloff used to say, if you're in the valley, farm it. Farm it. See, don't despise the correction or the chastening of the Lord. Seek, seek the Lord's will. Be in submission to Him during those trials and tests. Thirdly, remain steadfast in trials. Again, verse 5 says, My son, middle of the verse, My son, despise not thou the chastening Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And I want you to notice also, verse 12, it says, uh, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now, he says we're not to faint. You know, Proverbs 24.10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And he says not to, we're to lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now, you should think about those two verses. I want to break down some words here. Hands signify that with which we lay hold of something with. We, we lay hold of something with our hands. And he says, don't let the hands hang down. That means don't relax them, don't weaken them. Don't allow them to be weakened. And, 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 and the feeble, feeble knees, feeble means basically the same thing, weak or weakened. And the knees, one of the, part of the definition here of what the knees was, of course, it's, it's where our knees is, is that with which we bow to God. And, of course, our feet are defined as that member of the body, which is the organ or instrument, in any given action is put for the man himself. It is used for the man in motion. In other words, our feet are what takes us where we go. It's speaking of our feet as that which governs how we live. So don't let the hands hang down. Lay hold of the promises of God. Bow your knees to God in, in, in submission to Him and His will for your life, accepting whatever He allows in your life. So that your feet can continue to walk in His ways. That they can walk straight. 
You see, bitterness is to hold on to something that we will not surrender to your God. And it will weaken your trust in God and cause you to stand against God and not bow to his sovereign will. You know, it, is, it is to reject his sovereign rule over your life. After all, he is sovereign over all creation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose. Notice this. The purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. God works all things after the counsel. He has a purpose in everything that he allows in your life, and he's working it after the counsel of his will, so that you could be to the praise of his glory. You know, Romans 8, 28, 29, same thing. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate or predetermine to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, I look back in my life and things that I would, used to be bitter about and resentful, I realize now God has used them. in my life to help me in my relationship with him. And then, fourthly, we need to run after proper relationships Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace. That word follow means to hunt or pursue. You see, as God's children, we are to be pursuing, pursuing or going after peace. Don't give place to being offended or being resentful or being bitter or angry over something that somebody did to you. No, seek peace. You know, this is a characteristic that's spoken of throughout the Testament. You know, it, Jesus said in one of, the, in one of the, I think it was in Matthew, if you go to the altar with your gift, you remember there that somebody, you have wronged somebody, you go make it right. In other words, you're seeking peace. Peter said to seek peace peace and pursue it we have to go after it we have to go after it Paul wrote to the churches at Rome and said live peaceably with all men as much as life with all your might as much as you possibly can live peaceably with all men now I realize there's some people you can't live peaceably with but that doesn't mean you have to be bitter against them That may it, 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 the, the non-peace can be in their part, not yours. So that has to do with our, our relationships. 
But he also says, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I believe that's speaking of our, of our relationship with the Lord. And again, if, if, if we refuse to accept God's, uh, the circumstances and the trials that God allows into our life, if we refuse to accept them, become offended by them, it's going to affect our relationship with God. It's a refusal to accept his sovereign rule in his life. See, what Esau was doing was rebelling against God's sovereign choice between him and Jacob. And you know, the sad thing is, Esau and Jacob eventually reconciled. But Esau's offspring have a perpetual hatred for Jacob's seed. Ezekiel 35 describes that very vividly. Ezekiel chapter 35. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to Mount Seir, which is another name for Edom. That's where Esau went. Seir actually means, this is interesting, the word seer itself, it means, it means hairy or shaggy. And we know that Esau was a hairy man. That's how the Bible describes him. Hairy. He came out hairy and red all over. Uh, but anyway, Ezekiel 35 it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, because thou hast had a perpetual hatred, and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee. Seeth thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. Thus will I make Mount Seir most desolate, and cut off from it him that passeth out, and him that returneth. And I will fill his mountains with the slain men, and in the valleys, and the hills, and in the valleys, and in all thy rivers shall they fall that are slain with the sword. I will make thee a perpetual desolation, and thy city shall not return. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And he goes on to describe why God said, I'm going to destroy you. They have a perpetual hatred. And when it says here in verse 5 that in the time of their calamity, when the Babylonians came in to, to destroy Israel and take Israel captive, and God was judging them for their sins, those that escaped, the, the Edomites, stayed back around the outside, so to speak, and those that escaped, they put to the sword. Or they caught them and sent them back in to be captive. Or they plundered them. They treated them horribly. Those that escaped. And you see, yes, God wanted to judge his people, but that was not part of it. They were not part of the judgment. Why? Because they had a perpetual hatred. Remember Doag, the servant of Saul? that was detained by the priests. And when 
David fled from Saul, and Doag saw him take, saw the priest give David Goliath's sword. And so when Saul came to the priests and questioned them, and why did you help the priests? And the priest said, I knew nothing. I knew nothing of all this. And so Saul, being the wicked man that he was, told his men to kill all the priests. But they refused. They wouldn't do it. They had enough spiritual backbone to know that it was, right, was not the right thing to do. But guess who did? Doag, the Edomite. The Edomite. What am I saying? Esau's bitterness. Though he reconciled with Jacob, his bitterness infected his offspring. You know, we need to run after proper relationships. Don't give bitterness root in your life. Don't give bitterness root. And then fourthly, or fifthly, I guess it is, receive God's grace through your, your trials or difficult circumstances. Notice verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You see, God promised that his grace is sufficient for every need. God's grace will never fail us. You know, we may fail it. We may fail to receive it. You know, we know that grace is described as the unmerited favor of God. But it also, not only, you know, as we think about it, the unmerited favor of God, God gives us favor. He, through that favor, He enables us. He enables us to endure the hardships of life, to live victorious. You know, even as Paul said, you know, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It was God's grace that enabled Paul to go from city to city, you know, fleeing riot from riot, being persecuted from city to city. It was God's grace that enabled him to endure all that. He could have become a bitter man. Why do I have to endure this? I'm preaching the gospel. Men that endured much less have become bitter. And he's facing martyrdom. And he writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is what he said. I am ready to be offered. I'm ready. Paul didn't die of old age. Peter didn't die of old age. His life was taken from him. But he understood... And he was willing to allow the Lord to direct and control whatever was brought into his life. So he said, I'm ready. If it's the Lord will that they cut my head off or put me in a log and saw me in two, I'm ready. You see, whatever comes into our life, whatever circumstances come into our life, we need to have the grace of God. And the grace of God is available to us if we avail ourselves of it. We need to have the grace of God to forgive 
whatever it is, whomever offend us, on the basis of Calvary. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Says this. Grieve not, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away with you with all malice. And be ye kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so, we need to receive God's grace for the circumstances to endure the circumstances, the hardships of life, and they are going to come. God has a purpose in life. And you may, you may wonder at times, why did God or how could God ever use that circumstance in my life? You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But present vision many times is unclear. But we need, to, we need to commit it, whatever it is, to God and accept that He is sovereign. And whatever allow, whatever comes into my life, He has allowed it for His purpose. Painful experiences will come. But if we remember what the scriptures teach, if we will submit everything to God and his will for our life, if we will hang on and remain steadfast and hang on to the promises of God and not let go and seek peace and that right relationship with the Lord and allow his grace to work in our life, knowing that His grace is sufficient for every need. We can keep a sweet, pleasant spirit in the face of the most difficult circumstances of life. But it all depends on our attitude toward what God allows in our life. Will we accept it as He allowed it in our life? Or are we going to rebel against it? Will we accept it and learn from it? Or will we rebel against it and harden ourselves against His correction or His chastening or His directing in our life? Life's not fair. We used to tell our kids, and they'd say, well, that's just not fair. Welcome to the real world. There are people that had a lot worse than me, but there are people that have had it. I'm sorry, there's people that had a lot better than me, but there's people that have had it a lot worse than me too. But it all boils down to 
what we do with it and keeping our relationship with the Lord in proper perspective. Allowing Him to be God in every circumstance in my life.